Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I am Apostle Jens Nelson. And I am the ghost of Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Welcome to Spooky Month, friends. Welcome. Take two. Take two, yes. Yeah, we've... (laughs) Barely even started Spooktober 2022, and we've already got some ghostly interference and had to re-record this episode. As we part of it, as I say at work all the time, we have little gremlins working in our in our computer software to cause us problems. So apparently, the the gremlins have found their way into our our home computers as well. So welcome to the ever so famous Heresy Month on the Doxology Podcast, round three, year three, and uh, if I do say so myself, this is going to be our biggest, brightest, most abundantly successful year, because I declare it in the name of Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. That's right. So, Amen. Amen. Amen, so, <laughs> we're, we're talking today uh, specifically about the courts of heaven and Robert Henderson. If you've been around Heresy Month uh, in the past, you know that what we've done is Tuesdays, we talk about the heresy. Fridays, we talk about the heretic typically associated with that heresy. Well, we're not going to be doing that this year. You're going to get one episode a week simply because like Lucas and I are just super busy with work and school and other things. Um, But the episodes that we do do, and I did just say do do, uh, they, they will be the heresy and the heretic, or at least as, as best as we can, as, as you're going to find out the, the guy associated with courts of heaven, Mr. Robert Henderson is a, a, a sneaky little character. He's hard to get information on. Like if you look up Robert Henderson, there's about like 50 different Robert Hendersons that are famous. Uh, and this one we can find almost no biographic details. All I know about him, and this is just like a quick Google search, it almost seems like something that could be on the back of his book, but it says, Robert Henderson is a best-selling author, a respected apostolic leader, and internationally recognized for leading hundreds of thousands of believers into the courts of heaven. That's like all I could find. No birthdays, no children, wife, uh, family history, whatever. Like, it's all kind of weird, and... I don't know. It's a little suspicious to me. What what is this guy trying to hide? Why isn't there, you know, published information about him? I don't know. So, man, this this is a, a really interesting topic. It's one that comes to us from a listener, and I don't have his name off the top of my head, but by the end of this episode, uh, you know, maybe while Lucas is talking about something, I'll look up his name. And so uh, stick around for the end of the episode where we will drop his name and, and give him a shout out for recommending this episode but this is a a weird one it's one that i i really didn't even i wasn't familiar with until it was recommended to me so it it was fun doing some reading it was fun doing some research um and i'm I'm ready to jump in so lucas what what do we want to say here at the outset what information do you want to share yeah i think um one of the things that made this interesting for me was In addition to there not being a lot of at least, you know, obviously public information about Robert Henderson himself, which I think might be a good thing, you know, maybe he's just more committed to, you know, more truly 
convicted of what he teaches and is more interested in that with his ministry than puffing up his own ego. But uh, he could also be hiding something. Who knows? And uh, the, the other thing is, I, I felt like the things that, that um, the things that they, they meaning like his ministries, web pages, and descriptions of things like Courts of Heaven and what they do and what their goals are and, and vision and all that kind of stuff, it felt really vague to me in some senses. Um, a little bit confused, maybe not confusing like intentionally, but just like using some words in some interesting ways that seem to be unique and then not really giving a lot of detail or explanation about what it means to like what specifically what they're trying to accomplish or what they see their mission as being all about. And I don't know how much of that has to do with me being unfamiliar, just, you know, maybe if I were to sit down and read uh, one of his books about accessing the courts of heaven, it would, it would be a lot clearer. I would, I would, I would think it would be, Um, but at least as an outsider kind of just coming to, you know, the public webpage of his ministries, of the church that is associated with the ministry, um, there's not a lot of like very, very specific, like here's, you know, here's a statement of faith with, you know, points one through 10. And we get a really clear understanding about everything that this, this group believes or whatever. Um, beyond that, it seems to me in a lot of ways, there maybe not one-to-one, but definitely a lot of overlap with, with some other kind of um, more maybe quote-unquote mainstream like prosperity gospel movements or, or, or you know, health and wealth type of that, that sort of, that stream of, of more charismatic-ish, Pentecostal-ish um, theology and, and, and teaching and stuff, but, but definitely with a different focus. Like, like we'll talk about it. I mean, you know, there, I, I did see a little bit about, about sowing seeds and stuff like that and first fruits, but like really not a lot. Like the focus is very much on this courts idea and, uh, and, and using the courts, you, you know, like, which we'll get into. I'll, I'll stop there and say, I was, as far as the courts themselves go, I was, I was, I really had a hard time getting like a, like it felt a little slippery. So I'm curious if you were able to find anything a little more concrete than I was. And, and I want to hear what you, what you have to say to, and, and if it's, if it's, if it's as, con, if you're left as confused as I was, uh, we can turn to their website and stuff. But uh, I want to, I want to hear what you have to say in terms of like, what are the courts of heaven? Like, what the heck does that even mean before yeah. we get into like more about, what the ministry does or is all about. For sure. One other caveat I wanted to get out of the way, because as Lucas mentioned, this is take number two. We said this in the first take, haven't said it yet, but this month, like not everything is going to be an outright heresy. Like there are only so much, like there are only so many actually like condemned heresies in church history. So what we're talking about, as I'm sure you guys already know, is just like, you know, bad teaching, uh, bad theology, stuff that is uh, clearly errant and not uh, in alignment with scripture. And so we think that this falls into that category. Maybe that didn't need to be said, but I figured, you know what, just say it just in case. So um, yeah, so specifically like what the courts of heaven, you know, quote unquote, the courts of heaven, uh, this 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 idea came about somewhat recently um, from this teacher, Robert Henderson, um, 
He says that he had known for a long time that he could pray to God as father and as his friend. However, he had missed the fact that he could also appeal to God as the judge. So Henderson reasons that as human judges rule over earthly judicial systems, so God is the judge in the courts of heaven. And that's like, you know, capital C, capital H, courts of heaven. So he tells the story about how for two years he was praying for his son Adam, who was battling with depression and nothing was working. Um, He had tried everything he had known. So he tried, quote, binding and loosing or opening and shutting every formula I had ever heard of and everything that I knew to do, but with no breakthrough. And again, and when you consider the fact that this guy comes from a, a, a prosperity tradition, um, like he was probably trying everything in the book, all the different, you know, prosperity tactics, but to no avail. So then Henderson supposedly heard the word of God, sorry, the, the voice of God tell him, bring Adam to my courts. So that's, that's what he did. So he says, uh, I started uh, by saying, Lord, I bring Adam to your courts. Then he, he, so Henderson, repented of anything that he thought his son Adam might have done wrong, which is just interesting. Then he repented for some of his own sin in relation to Adam. The whole process took about 15 minutes. The, uh, a week and a half later, his son called to tell him that he had experienced an amazing breakthrough from his depression only a week and a half prior. So Henderson states that he suddenly realized um, that what he had done in 15 minutes in the courts of heaven, um, like it was more than what he had been able to do in two years in the battlefield of prayer. So from this experience, Henderson concluded that the battle had already been won by Christ and that we just need to get, quote, legal access to that victory. So in the courts of heaven, we remove any legal issue that the enemy is using to prevent God from delivering what he has promised to his children. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys followed any of that. It's something that like was a bit confusing, a bit complex to me too. But like what I, what like at, at its, at its core, what it seems like is like if there are problems, so, you know, someone, you know, a child is dealing with depression, maybe there's financial struggle or whatever, um, Instead of simply praying about it, you know, like he said he had been doing for two years, he appealed to the courts of heaven, God's heavenly throne room where you could go before him and and plead your case and uh, achieve or uh, take hold of the victory that's already been won. But, you know, you just need to go and appeal to him as judge to, to, to take hold of that. And so... You know, it's it, it's just that weird story. It's one of those things that, like, is is that actually what happened? Like, did your son actually have this breakthrough, like, that moment that you were praying and you both realized a week and a half ago that that took place and you're like, whoa, must have been what happened? Or is it, like, a manufactured story? I don't know. Um, but that's, that's sort of what I was able to learn about, like, where this teaching came about. And that's sort of, like, its, its root cause, if you will. And so from there, it was developed further um, I mean, it's like this whole subsect of prosperity theology. It's almost like this, it's like a brand, the, the courts of heaven wing of prosperity teaching, if you will. It's like a whole, because like I said, he, he had tried this battleground of prayer and it wasn't working, but going to the courts of heaven did. So it's almost like another layer to prosperity type teaching. And I think um, maybe this will add a little bit more uh, 
concrete detail. Like if you're kind of hearing that and you're like, okay, I kind of get what he's talking about maybe. Um, but like, what does it, what does it mean to go to the courts of heaven? You know, like what, what does it mean to bring my son to the courts of heaven or, or whatever it is? Um, I did find this, this, this article that was, that is literally eight simple steps to present your case in the courts of heaven. <laughs> uh, this is written by someone named Francis Miles. It's not directly associated with Robert Henderson's ministry or written by him. Um, he, doc, this guy, Dr. Francis Miles, is somebody else. Um, he is pastor of a church in Tempe, Arizona, and also um, engaged in various like TV ministries and all that, all that kind of stuff. Um, but he is writing this like based on the sort of main, what seems to be to be sort of the main resource for for this courts of heaven, which is operating in the courts of heaven by Robert Henderson. Um, so. I'll just blow through these steps. Some of them are more interesting than others, but but just to clarify, this is somebody else summarizing the steps that Robert Henderson describes in his book about the courts of heaven. So step one is get off the battlefield. So that 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 in the sense of prayer, in in the sense of the the spiritual battlefield. Um, quoting Robert Henderson, the first thing we must do to step into the courts of heaven is to get off the battlefield. We have to recognize the need for legal precedence to be set before we run to the bottle. <laughs> Bat- bottle. Before we run to the battle. <laughs> we are in a conflict, but it is a legal one. Okay. T- step two. Stand on Christ's finished work. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. Um, it's, it's Christ's work. It's finished. Um, that's the basis, right? It's not, it's not something new or something that we do. Okay. Step three, repent. It's based on, you know, repentance in the sense that we, we are turning away from our sin, turning to God in order to, you know, come into his presence. Four, so far I'm like, okay, fine. Then it's four, ask for the court to be seated. Um, and he cites Daniel seven ten, which describes um, vision of, of, of heaven and and the ancient of days and it says the court was seated and the books were opened um we have to ask that the courts of heaven are seated so that they can hear our case uh this is quoting this francis miles guy it's impossible to get a judicial ruling from any court of law if the court is not yet seated that's this is why no courtroom battle ever proceeds until the judge has been seated step five present your case with boldness Pretty straightforward. Step six, wait for the spirit's witness. Um, and keep in mind, like, you know, presenting your case with boldness. They cite Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. Wait for the spirit's witness. They cite Romans 8.16. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. And of course, this isn't like just something that's getting pulled out of thin air in terms of this language, in terms of the idea of a court in heaven, Right. It, but what's interesting is how these verses are being used. And I just wanted to keep that in mind. Step seven is receive the court's verdict by faith. And then step eight is reinforce your righteous verdict daily through thanksgiving. So a little bit more concrete understanding of what's going on. Um, to me, it, it I guess what's, what's confusing to me is like, maybe I'm being too nitpicky, but I, I have a hard time conceptualizing what's really different about 
conceiving of prayer as a battlefield versus prayer as a courtroom. At the end of the day, it seems to me like, you know, to use the example that he gives um, of, of (coughs) excuse me, his son being, you know, him presenting his son in the court of heaven and getting a, a righteous verdict that led to his son being freed from the burdens of his, of what he was experiencing as far as depression. Like, I, I guess I have a harder time understanding, like, what, what really changed in, in terms of, like, it, it seems to me like he prayed for his son and God was merciful and healed his son. And that's an amazing thing. It doesn't seem to me like he stopped praying for his son and now he, he went to court for his son. You know, you know like, it, it seems to me a little bit, and may, again, maybe I'm just being nitpicky. But what were you gonna say? No, that 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 I feel I, I had the same thought. I'm like, what's the difference? Like, how do, how does this differ from just like any other day of prayer? And like to me, the question that naturally arose was like, does the courts of heaven work every time? Like, does God ever say no from the throne? You know what I mean? Like, if you if you do those steps, like I think you said like the eight steps or whatever, if you go through those steps, is the answer always gonna be yes? And if that's the case then why not just go, go there first every time? Why why waste any time on the battlefield of prayer? Why not just go to the throne room if you're always going to get a yes? But like to me, that's the only thing. Like the way that they frame this, the way that it's like, like how did he word it? Um, like the battle has already been won. So Christ has already had victory. We just need to get legal access to the victory, which again, to me, seems like it, it seems like the implication is that by doing this thing, that you're going to get the outcome that you desire, um, which again, I think to me, eliminates that need for a battlefield in this in this theological system. Because it's like, if you just want to get rich, if you just want to get healthy, if you just want whatever it is, just go straight, to, you know what I mean? Like go straight to the courtroom. Maybe I'm simplif- oversimplifying. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I like I, I like I think it seems maybe again, maybe I'm misunderstanding or 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 skipping over something, but it does seem like he would kind of say, "Yeah, go straight to the courtroom." You know, like we're 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 fighting this battle that's already been won like when we don't need to because it's already been won. Ooh. You, you know, maybe I maybe and maybe I'm wrong about that like just in terms of what I saw. Like it seems to me like I, I might expect him to say, you're right. Let's go straight to the courtroom. So maybe, maybe, sure. no, no, maybe you're right. And maybe, maybe the thing is like having been in the prosperity world, right? Maybe he had seen like, well, the thing that we're saying is supposed to work isn't working. Like we're, we're supposed to be in this battlefield. We're supposed to be able to, you know, boldly proclaim in faith, you know, in the name of Jesus, I, you know, I declare wealth or I declare health or whatever, Maybe because it wasn't working for him, instead of concluding maybe our theology is wrong, now he's been like, well, th- we've just been missing out. We didn't have the full picture. Now we have the courtroom that we can go to. Like maybe that's more the angle, and it's not so much you have both. Maybe. It's like this is the this is the thing to actually get the health and wealth mm. that you are looking for. I don't I don't know. Could be. Yeah, and I I think what's what was really interesting to me, like like I mentioned kind of at the top, like we talked about how there's not a lot of like. It's not a very, like, like his ministry, which I keep saying his ministry. Um, so GPEC, um, Global, shoot. They have, like, their thing is called Global Reformers. I forget what GPEC, like, stands for. The Global Prayer and Empowerment Center. That's, like, 
I think like the organization um, ministry that 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 kind of is is what this is. Um, like it, it's very it's very like centered around him, but not in not in the same sense of like somebody like um, you know a Kenneth Copeland or like a Creflo Dollar. Like or like a like a um, Joel Osteen or something like that. Like it, it seems a little bit less like personality cult. Um, there's still there's still some of that like because it is his thing, but like he's the leader, so it kind of makes sense. A- anyway, um, it's interesting to me because it's it's also not a whole lot about like it's not like here you know come join us uh, and we will you know and, and learn how how we can. You know, in the name of Jesus, we can we can win the you know that we can win the legal battle against Satan, and we can defeat the enemies. You know, we can gain legal access to our inheritance where we have health and wealth and and comfort, or you know, the kind of stuff you might expect. It doesn't seem to really be. I'm not saying it's not there. I'm not saying they don't do that. But at least on their on their site, it seems like that's not really what they're mainly about. Um, whoops, sorry dropped something um it seems like it's not really what they're mainly about because like so the first thing you know like on the home page welcome to global reformers we can't wait for you to join our family global reformers is the apostolic family or house joined and aligned with apostle robert henderson the ultimate purpose of this aligning is to quote secure nation's destinies from the court of heaven This understanding of the court system of heaven is radically shaping the church's awareness of how the spirit realm works. We are recognizing that it is the job of us individually, but also as the corporate people of God, the ecclesia, to grant God as judge the legal right to fulfill his purpose in the earth. The thing that has hindered the fullest manifestation of the kingdom of God in the earth is the satanic realm still is holding nations under their influence because we as the church have yet to enforce and execute into place the finished works of the cross. This occurs from the courts of heaven. So they have this much less individualistic, like, we, you know, let's, let's, let's take, you know, you have your family members, they have cancer, they're depressed, let's take them into the courts and deliver them from that. The main, like it says, the ultimate purpose is to secure nation's destinies from the court of heaven. What I was not able to find and why I described it as vague is I'm not quite sure what a nation's destiny is. You know what I mean? Like what is, so let's say the nations are, um, what does it say? The the, the satanic realm is still holding nations under its influence. Um, Okay. Let's we deliver, we we win the court battle and, and, and the nation is no longer under the satanic realm's influence. I, I don't know if that just translates to revival and and you know other on other places on the website that talk about revival and reformation. Just like if if that kind of translates into that in terms of missions and conversions and revival, um, or if it's something in it, you know, if that along with something else, and you know, maybe like more, you know, a more just system of government or or you know, alleviating certain social ills or you know like they're they're not quite as explicit on that um which which is was a little bit frustrating to me trying to figure it out but it is interesting to me that like they're they're it's 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 a much bigger sort of vision than making sure that you don't have debt or you're not sick or you get a big house which is good in the sense that like yeah it we should be you know 
praying for God's kingdom to happen here on earth. I, but I think the, the, the big problem, and this might, I, I don't want to blow past anything you have to add, um, but this might transition a little bit into sort of like evaluating a little bit of the, the problem, the, you know, the errors and the problems we see. Yeah, I did so have before I do that. Yeah, I did yeah. have a couple of thoughts to add before we do that. I so it's interesting. I couldn't find like a definitive quote unquote start date for when this idea of courts of heaven was birthed. But from 2016 to 2020, my dude Robert Henderson and some some of them are co-authored, but has written ten books at least on this idea of courts of heaven. So I thought I'd just throw some of the titles out there. So operating in the courts of heaven, granting God the legal rights to fulfill His passion. So that's one of them. Unlocking destinies from the courts of heaven. Uh, the courts of heaven, dissolving curses that delay or deny our future. Um, uh, prayer and declarations that open the courts of heaven. Um, you mentioned Francis Miles, I believe. Uh, there's one where Francis co-authored issuing divine restraining orders from courts of heaven, restricting and revoking the plans of the enemy. Uh, that's really interesting. Seeing the word divine restraining orders. Um, there's one father, friend, and judge three dimensions of prayer that receive answers from heaven. And then man, this one, I almost want to read this one. Are you ready? Are you ready for this? Praying for the prophetic destiny of the United States and the presidency of Donald J. Trump from the courts of heaven, man, praying for the prophetic destiny of the U S and president Donald J. Trump from the courts of heaven written in 2020. Um, so I think like you can maybe f- even from a title, a book like that sort of glean what is meant by like, I think what you were talking about earlier about like a country's destiny or whatever, or the destiny of a country and, uh, fulfilling their, you know, maybe their goal on, on earth or whatever. Um, but yeah, really, really fascinating. The fact that like about, I think it's 10, if my counting is correct, 10 books between 2016 and 2020 on this teaching of, of courts of heaven, they also, um, I believe it was 2018, he held a conference called Unlocking Wealth in the Courts of Heaven. Um, and this was related to a book, The Trading Floors of Heaven, where lost blessings are restored and kingdom destiny is fulfilled. Um, and this book apparently tells readers how to receive your new covenant blessing and inheritance by accessing the trade of Calvary through the courts of heaven. So that little bit was really interesting to me to receive your new covenant blessing and inheritance by accessing the trade of Calvary Calvary through this idea of courts of heaven. So no longer is like the new covenant blessing, the inheritance as sons and daughters achieved through like, you know, what 2000 years of church history has told us. But uh, instead we, we have to go to the courts of heaven, uh, have this transaction, this trade with Calvary or whatever uh, to achieve that, that blessing. So like you said, maybe this is a good time to yeah. talk about like, okay, so we've, we've sort of outlined s- some of what this teaching is, what it, what it means. And so like, why is this a problem? Why is this not good theology or good teaching? Yeah. And I think, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of like little, little f- turns of phrase and little statements here or there that kind of seem to me to indicate some various problems. Just like one that really jumps out to me. Um, this is a quote from that paragraph I read from the front page of their website. You read it, I think, in one of the descriptions of of the of uh, the books, uh, but or maybe the subtitle or whatever. But this idea of 
grant God as judge the legal right to fulfill his purpose in the earth is really like alarming because I, I don't understand if God is the judge, if God is judge as scripture depicts him as judge, I don't really understand how we have any uh, power or authority. And even even like even, to even draw out, like metaphorically speaking, like like in the realm of, you know, heaven and and the spiritual realities of, of the universe as as in terms of legal, like in legal terms. What le- what legal standing or basis do we have to like? What jurisdiction do we have to to grant God the legal right? Like that seems wild to me. That a Satan, you know. Okay, so the battle is over. The finished work of Jesus on the cross has won the battle, but Satan still has apparently legitimate legal claims over nations and people. And because they're legal claims, they need to be defeated in the courtroom, but God needs us legally to do it. Like, I, I, don't, I don't get how we would be able <laughs> to grant God the legal right to fulfill his purpose. Like, if God didn't have the legal right to fulfill his purpose in the earth already, I don't think we would be the thing that would be able to give it to him, right, by... By going into the courtroom and 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 presenting our case that this nation or this person, you know, really should be under under God's legal rights or whatever. Like it just it just doesn't make sense. Well, like you're saying to, to characterize it that way in yeah. that direction. Yeah, and like you're saying, like sure, we we do call God judge in Scripture. Like that's that's that part is clear, and. But does that logically necessitate that he actually presides over a court that either mimics or is parallel to our modern court or judicial system? Because that's sort of like what he's presupposing is like, you know, we have earthly judges that like rule and preside over different cases. So God must do the same. But like, like I said, scripture does call God judge, but it doesn't talk about the legal system that operates in heaven as if it were on earth. There's not right. like a, a throne they, where there's like, you know, a, a jury and defense and witness and like, you know, much less this being the like the key to getting what we want. Yeah. Right. And that that was the other thing I wanted to, to point out is just the the direction of the analogy is all wrong because he's saying, well, I have some understanding of what, you know, the United States court system looks like and how it functions and i know that god has a court in heaven because scripture says so therefore it follows that god is you know a supreme court judge or a federal circuit judge or whatever and since i know how federal courts work in my country at this time in history I therefore know how the heavenly court works and what I need to do. And even that one book you were you were talking about, I could be wrong. I don't know if, if there's more description, but it seems to me like it's talking about like the trade, like the trading floor. Like I'm assuming that's like a stock market trading floor reference. Um, or or at the very least, it some kind of marketplace reference. And I don't I don't even know of, of the anal- of of the connection to scripture anywhere of, of of Calvary being some kind of trading exchange. Uh, maybe it may, I'm, I could easily just be forgetting. I'm not going to pick on him for that. But but I'm just saying like 
I don't know. I just I don't think that the, that that that's not the direction. Like when, when we're when we're looking at the analogical relationship between us, our world, and God, like the reason there is there is an analogical connection is not because God is like us, right? The the when Paul talks about Christ in the church and the marriage between a husband and a wife. He's not saying, he doesn't say that Christ's relationship to the church is like that of a husband and a wife. The relationship of a husband and a wife is like the reality of Christ's relationship with his church. So it's, it's, he's, it seems to me like the, a lot of the details of like what heaven's courts actually are is kind of being based on this idea that I know what the court looks like around me down here. Therefore... I now know because I know what courts in in the earthly realm look like. I know what courts in the heavenly realm look like, and it just seems like that doesn't make it wrong, but it's just it just seems like a very a very weak logical leap to make, Agreed. right? Like it just yeah. seems like like a short sighted move to make because all you have to do is be like, well, wait a second, how do I know that? Is it just because it has the word court? that I know that that means the same kind of court that I'm familiar with. Yeah. I mean, the thing, the thing you have to also consider though, is like a big, a big foundation for this teaching is his, um, I think what we might want to call extra biblical revelation. Like if you remember, he heard the voice of God tell him to go to the courts. And so, you know, whether or not that voice explained exactly what that meant or whether he just, again, he had that idea of like what a court looks like. And so God must act in the same way. Like that's like a a major foundation for any, like when you consider any of the major problematic teachings that exist in the world today, a large portion of them are based in some way, shape or form on some sort of extra biblical revelation that was given to them. You know, whether it's gold tablets or a voice from heaven or the voice of God audibly, like, which is just a really convenient scapegoat for you to say, well, like, yeah, I know this isn't maybe necessarily found explicitly in scripture, but like this thing happened. I have this thing. But like one of the, one of the explanations or one of the problems that I had read was really good. I thought I'd just share it here. It says for 2000 years, Christians have been praying and struggling in this life with suffering and persecution that according to Henderson could have been avoided if they had simply known to apply to God uh, or appeal to God, not as their father or friend, but as the judge and to present their case in the heavenly judicial system. Um, so it's like, man, that, 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 to, to look back down the, the tunnel of time, to look back at church history and to think of like the martyrs, uh, those who, who suffered and were persecuted for their faith, to look back and to almost declare to those people, if only you had known all you needed was to appeal to God as judge, to go to the courts of heaven, and you would not have had to endure those beheadings and those imprisonments and, uh, you know, being separated from your friends and family for your faith. Um, and even today, even in our world today, it seems like a slap in the face. And that's, I mean, that's a problem with just prosperity theology in general, but those people that are, that are marginalized, that live in parts of the world that are perhaps underdeveloped where, uh, you know, power and money and, uh, situations, uh, keep people at the bottom while, while the, the few rise to the top with wealth, but like, you can think of any number of situations where, where Christians in the world suffer or are, are going through hardship. Like, 
scripture says all over the place that like God is with us in those moments. Like God suffered too, like Christ suffered on the cross. And so we, we share in his sufferings and that is not a, a, a badge of dishonor, but quite contrary. It's, I mean, in some senses it, it's suffering for the faith is a badge of honor and throughout church history, that's sort of been like the, the status quo. It's not that suffering and hardship and, um, you know, not having money and not having health, like those aren't bad things in and of themselves. I think in our world, we think of them that way. Um, and so especially for somebody who's in the prosperity tradition, of course, they're going to say something to the effect of like, well, this is what you do to get the things you want. And it's just, you know, it's just really convenient. It's really easy. It's not, it, it ignores like the reality of, of faith in Christ. And it makes it about, uh, about winning, about achieving our dreams, about, um, all these things that I think are sort of just are contrary to what we see in the Christian life and in scripture. Yeah. And I think that's like, like in case people think that's maybe a bit harsh to say, Oh, well, you know, to say, you know, extra biblical revelation, you know, that, that, that you're kind of reading into it. That's just your perspective on the website. One of the mantles on apostle Robert is the ability to receive and communicate fresh revelation from the Lord. And then, also, there is an anointing to bring revelation that is applicable so our lives can be empowered with fresh truths from the throne of God. And the thing is just like, there's not fresh truths. It might, they might be freshly presented or, or presented to you in a fresh way that you didn't, they might be fresh to you. But it's not as if God hasn't revealed a truth until now, right? Like, like that's problematic, um, theologically speaking, uh, and the idea, it, 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 it seems pretty, pretty, uh, pretty bonkers, like you said, to look backwards through history and be like, they all missed something. The God never revealed to any of his saints at any point this truth that essentially is the way we interact with God in order to make his kingdom grow here on earth. Uh, but thankfully... He told me, so now I can tell people. Like, even like even like even if 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 Robert Henderson is just completely deceived and he fully believes that, like it, even if it's not intentionally malicious, like it's very dangerous theologically, um, for a lot of reasons. But probably towards the bottom of the list is just there's no way to to falsify it. Like, okay, yeah, God talked to you. Well, I mean, you know, great. I don't know. Like there's, I can't prove that either way. And, 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 and there's no, there's no way to critique it either on the basis of scripture, because it's not pretending to be at least entirely a biblical doctrine. Right. Like, I mean, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're gonna, they're gonna find it in, in scripture, find verses that support these, these steps like we saw earlier or the idea of it. Um, and like I said, the idea of there being a court in heaven is not some kind of new, fresh idea. But the idea that this 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 whole interaction and 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 taking our and presenting our cases in the courts of heaven is very like self consciously a fresh thing that is newly revealed to God's church through this quote unquote apostle, right? And right there is another thing. When people, when, when, when individuals start walking around calling themselves apostles, like you don't need to listen to them. 
And I'm not talking about like, oh, you know, apostolic succession, bishops are the successors of the apostles, or like, I think one of the titles of the Coptic Pope is like the 13th apostle or something. Um, But I mean, like, just a guy. I am apostle so-and-so. Like, you're not an apostle. (laughs) Um, Because even the people who who do affirm things like apostolic succession uh, do not see the bishops as apostles their successors right they're 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 fulfilling apostolic responsibilities which is different than saying i am an apostle yeah um and especially different when you're saying that outside any sort of institutional authority that has any like roots to say you're an apostle <laughs> like like we, we, we can debate if if anyone should ever be called that but i think definitely just individuals who are who, who just run their own ministries doesn't seem like a, like a, like a safe bet that they're no. an apostle. Right. Agreed. Um, I don't know. And I don't think any of that is probably surprising to anybody who does listen to us. Um, yeah, for sure. But, but I do think it is really interesting. Cause like you, I had never even heard this phrase. I'd certainly Same, never yeah. heard of specifically like these ideas um coming from him and his books or or anything like that i am like i am like somewhat tempted to like find a copy and read it just to see see what what it's all about what all the hubbub is about (laughs) i I did i did find one thing that i wanted to share about one of the books but first i I to sort of like wrap to wrap this conversation up i thought it would be like good to talk about like when does scripture use this word courts or does the word courts of heaven appear as he's as he's talking about it um well in the new testament the word courts does appear normally used in a legal sense but like for example acts 19:38, the courts are in session and proconsuls are available let them bring charges against one another so i mean it's literally talking about like an earthly court but the term is never used in conjunction with heavenly courts in the new testament in the old testament the court uh, the term courts is used almost exclusively to refer to the temple or at least part of the temple where God was enthroned. So for example, Solomon, your son is the one who will build my house and my courts for I have chosen him. First Chronicles 28, six in the Psalms, we find enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Um, at the time, uh, at the time this was written, entering God's courts was referred to uh, walking into the physical temple. So when most Christians read this verse today, they may picture entering a spiritual presence of God and imagining this happening in the courts of heaven, um, you know, maybe like where God is enthroned. But like nowhere do we see this idea that that Robert Henderson is talking about. Like we don't see this courts of heaven, this place where we yeah. go before God, who's like the, the judge on the throne and we appeal to him. Like it's more or less like... Uh, what's the word like almost it, metaphorical it refers to a place right it, like yeah and also notice regardless of what you wanted to do with the word um just the connection with worship is is inextricable right in 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 when because it's because it is referring to the temple yeah and 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 you know this we we've we've been saying this but it's just true like this concept of heavenly courts and how we can use them they're they're firmly rooted in prosperity theology like that's just the the fact of the matter and so you know according to henderson wealth and healing uh anything that you might want are ours for the taking if we only know how to apply for them 
So his, his theology rests on the idea that, that God gave Adam, the first man, not his son, Adam, God gave Adam as in Adam and Eve legal authority over the earth. But when Adam sinned, that legal authority was then transferred to Satan. So now God is legally barred from taking action on earth unless people take back that authority from Satan and give it to God. So apparently this is accomplished in a legal setting, um, of a, of a real heavenly courtroom. So uh, this this is from his book, uh, the the operation in the courts of heaven, granting God legal rights to fulfill His passion. So you know, in this theology, God wants to bless us, but He may be hindered on technical legal grounds. So that goes back to what you were saying a little bit a little bit ago earlier, and what we've been saying this whole time is like. Uh, man, we could do a whole episode about what it means to grant God permission to do something. Are you, I mean, are you kidding? Like you feeble man who on the battlefield couldn't accomplish anything. uh, You you couldn't do anything in that battlefield. But when you went to the courts, somehow you entering the court gave God power to then grant you what you wanted. Like that, like it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like logically from like a purely logical standpoint, if you are powerful enough to enter the courtroom and grant God power to do something, why couldn't you have done it on the battlefield? Why did you have to go? You know what I mean? I don't know, dude. Like it again, I think there are lots of holes, lots of issues, things that are, that are going to be problematic here. Um, and, and for yeah, good what? reason. One last thing, like from a, almost like more pastorally speaking, like it sounds like a really hopeless, burdensome, like works focused way of approaching God. Like I need to grant him this, which means I need to do this thing, whatever it is, yeah, in order to get his blessings, in order to, in order for his for his kingdom to come, in order for me to be able to enter into the blessing of what Christ won for me on the cross. Like that's straight up Pelagianism. And besides being wrong, that's incredibly like, I can't imagine the pressure of, of being fully, fully bought into this and be, and, and then facing a struggle in your life, which will come. Yeah. At Every some day. point. Yeah. And then, and then, and then be you know being in that situation and, and being bought into this this system like that moment feels to me like it would be there would be so much pressure and such a burden to do to do x y or z to believe that i have the power to do x y or z and therefore the responsibility when in reality Christ's burden is freaking I mean, his yoke is yeah. easy, his burden is light. It's not yeah. this thing and that the, you need to go accomplish. The reason is because he's God, so he <laughs> did it all. <laughs> yeah, it makes no sense. I don't know. I have nothing else I really want to add here. This was this is really, really fascinating from just like an objective standpoint to look at like something like this. And like I said, it seems relatively more recent. This seems like a new development, if you want to call it that, within the realm of prosperity theology. And, you know, to me, I mean, I've always, everyone should already know that I've found prosperity teaching problematic for a long time. I mean, we did an episode in our first heresy month on more generally what prosperity theology is, but like this especially feels like a little bit diabolical and a little bit just like devious to, to ensnare people within this. I I can't, I've never understood how someone like, you know, Joel Osteen can have 
thousands and hundreds of thousands and millions of people following him. And I just like the fact that people go to these churches, like it's incredibly disheartening to me that people are getting, getting sucked into this and, and falling victim to what I want to call the predatory, you know, nature of these individuals. So I don't know, nothing else to really add here. Really fascinating, really interesting. Hope you guys all think so too. Yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for our first 2022 Heresy Month episode. And I think to pray us out, we're going to pray a psalm, and we're going to talk about the real courts of heaven. So let's pray. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Amen. And we can trust that and know that and know that that is true because he is faithful because he's God and we are not. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, yeah, that like, like we said, that's the end. We are, we are excited about it being October Nice weather where I am. Sounds like nice weather where you are. Beautiful. Uh, we're finally finally into fall, finally into heresy. We just That's what we live for is heresy here on, mm, on the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, hit us up on Twitter at Doxology Podcast. Shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love your feedback, questions. Uh, future episode ideas, always welcome, especially heresies. We might not get to it this month just because, you know, we only have a month. But uh, we're always wanting to store away for future heresy months as we plan to keep keep coming back to these topics so we'd love to hear from you no matter what and uh you know hope 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 you don't have too spooky of a night or whenever you're listening to this too spooky of a day stay safe and uh, we'll see you later peace out